1: Itself is not really a bad thing, but ambition must be mixed with several things. It must be mixed with a genuine humility, and it also must be mixed with the call of God. Paul writes to Timothy, he who desires to be a bishop or he who desires to be an overseer desires a good work. In other words, if you desire to be a pastor, if you desire to be a leader, if you desire to be in ministry, you're desiring a good
0: the story of Abimelech in the book of Judges is truly tragic, but cautionary. He rose to power in ruthless and cruel ambition through violent betrayal, but was himself judged by God for his sin and promptly removed from power. In today's message, Pastor Dave will remind you of God's sovereignty, justice, and judgment. Well, let's join Pastor Dave in the book of Judges chapter 9 with part one of his message, A Man Who Would Be King.
1: You are
0: sure.
1: I label this the son who would be king, the son who would be king. We're going to meet another judge. All right. Remember, the book of Judges is about various deliverers who the Lord sent forth to deliver Israel as they went through the cycle. And once again, the cycle was deed, discipline, despair, and deliverance. As we came through chapters 6, 7, and 8, we met our buddy Gideon. I really relate to Gideon. I really can do a lot of studies on the book of Gideon. And and he's really an interesting, interesting character because I relate to him. And one thing that we mentioned last week is how the Lord, in his word, doesn't fail to show us Gideon's shortcomings. And I think that helps us in our faith. But Gideon was used mightily by the Lord to subdue the Midianites. And even though Gideon's faith was weak at times, the Lord showed himself strong on behalf of the nation Israel, and he broke the chains of bondage once again. The grateful nation wanted to make Gideon king. But wisely, Gideon refused. But if you remember, he ended up living like a king. And he kind of slipped at the end. I'm kind of sorry about that. But we know that the Lord didn't look upon his failures because we know and we went to chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews where Gideon's name is mentioned in the hall of faith. So the Spirit made mention of him and his faith. We finished chapter 8 and if you look at that in verses 29 through 35, let's review those as we run into chapter 9. Verse 29 of chapter 8, it says, Then Jerubbabel remember they changed Gideon's name to Jerubbabel the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own house. Gideon had 70 sons who were his own offspring, for he had many wives. His concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son whose name he called Abimelech. Now Gideon, the son of Joash, died at a good old age. and was buried in the tomb of Joash's father in Ophrah. Of the Ebionzites. So it was as soon as Gideon was dead, note that the children of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal Bereth their God. Thus the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side, nor did they show kindness to the house of Jerubbaal, Gideon, in accordance with the good he had done for Israel. So it's not long after their judge or deliverer, remember the word judge here, in judges means deliverer, not long after he dies that the D starts over, the cycle starts all over, and we go right back into disobedience. We liken it to the rubber band, how God stretches us and stretches us and stretches us and stretches us us But then as soon as he lets us go, thinking we can walk on our own two feet, we go right back to that old rubber band shape. God's not angry with us. He loves us. He wants to have fellowship with us. But there is no fellowship when we're in that rubber band shape. We walk away from him. Church of Ephesus, you've left your first love. You didn't lose it, you left it. Return and do your first works. Repent believe. We're back into the disobedience cycle. We read in chapter 8, verses 30 through 31 that I just read, that Gideon had 70 sons from his various wives and concubines, one of whose name was Abimelech, which basically means son of the king. Abimelech. Now chapter 9 in this book records the not so illustrious career, political career, of this man by the name of Abimelech, Gideon's son. We'd said that the Israelites had changed Gideon's name to jerubbabel back in chapter 6, verse 32, when he tore down the altar of Baal. But of all the sons of Gideon, Abimelech decides he wants to be king. Abimelech decides he wants to be king. He had a passionate desire to be king. And as we will read, he allows nothing to stand in his way from becoming king. We'll get into that a little bit more in detail. This is by far the longest chapter in the book of Judges. And dare I say, it is one of the most, if not the most depressing of the book. We can divide the chapter up into three parts. And although I named it the Son Who Would Be King, the part one would be the seizing of the kingdom, and that would be from verses 1 through 21. Part two, which we're going to take up next week, verses 22 through 29, is defending the kingdom. And then part three, which is from the rest of the chapter, from 29 to 57, losing the kingdom so we, as we begin this first section seizing the kingdom the first thing we see is a glimpse of Gideon's self ambition so we're going to read verses 1 and 2 then abimelech the son of jerubbaal went to shechem to his mother's brothers and spoke with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father saying Please speak in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. Which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Drubal reign over you or that one reign over you? Remember that I am your own flesh and bone. So Abimelech goes to Shechem, his hometown, and he makes his case. Abimelech decides that he should be king and he moves home next to mom and the whole gang. And he starts his campaign, if you will. And he seizes the controls of the nation. Now, as he seizes control of the nation, we're going to find out that he breaks almost every single of God's commandments. He breaks almost every single one of God's commandments. And what happens is he takes the nation from disobedience into discipline and despair. He's not a very nice judge. He brings destruction not only to himself, but to the nation as well. Many believe that the very last commandment, thou shalt not covet, is the first step to breaking the other nine. And dare I say, I'm going to add one more thing to that. I'm going to add the word pride. And we're going to talk about that in length in a couple minutes. But here we see Abimelech coveting pride the title of king. I want to be king. It's good to be king. Yeah, I want to be king. I want to rule over Israel. Now, where did he get this idea? Well, he got it from the Israelites. Remember, the Israelites wanted to make his father king. They wanted to make Gideon king, but he wisely said, no, 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 no. God is supposed to be the one who rules over you. See, God always wanted Israel to be a theocracy, which means being ruled by God. Remember, when they came out of, out of Egypt, God said, meet me on this mountain. I will be your God and you will be my people. God wanted to rule over them. God wanted them to follow his commands. He wanted to be the one that had a relationship with them through the commandments. But they didn't want that. But it's interesting that everybody thinks That it wasn't until Samuel, the days of Samuel, that Israel started begging for a king. You hear it, see, it started hundreds of years earlier with Israel still wanting a king. Now, ambition in and of itself is not really a bad thing. But ambition must be mixed with several things. It must be mixed with a genuine humility. And it also must be mixed with the call of God. Paul writes to Timothy, he who desires to be a bishop or he who desires to be an overseer desires a good work. In other words, if you desire to be a pastor, if you desire to be a leader, if you desire to be in ministry, you're desiring a good thing. But it needs to be led by God. It needs to be called by God. Make your calling and election sure, not only of salvation, but what has God called you to do. You need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit into various positions that you might have. God, you you see throughout the book of the Bible where God calls certain men. He calls certain women, including our buddy Gideon. He called him, knowing what he could make of him. Mighty man of valor. When Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. When he was hiding. So God calls us. So wanting to be In ministry, wanting to be raised up by the Lord, Paul says it's a good thing, but be careful of your ambition. Be careful of your ambition. Paul goes on to tell Timothy, don't raise up a novice too early because they might get puffed up, they might get prideful. Don't raise up a novice too early. If God is leading you into a certain position and raising you up, you should go as high as He wants to take you. If you feel God's call upon your life, then you should seek Him with your whole heart and go, okay. You should be like a Samuel when God called, said, here I am, Lord. Even when God called Paul, what were well, the first words out of Paul's mouth, who are you, Lord? So we, we need to address him that way. But if you manufacture your growth, if you step over people on your way to the top, God will have nothing to do with it, and God will not bless you. And believe me, if you do it that way, in my opinion, and what I read in scriptures, you're headed for a mighty fall. So Abimelech starts his campaign in Shechem. Why? Well, I think one of the reasons that Abimelech started his his campaign in Shechem, Shechem was kind of a holy place for Israel. Many, many things happened in Shechem in Israel's history. Like Abraham heard from the Lord. And the Lord told him he would send him into a land and give him a land of promise. That was at Shechem. Shechem was a place where Jacob was, it was a place where the other patriarchs were. He also went there because his friends lived there, his family lived there, and he knew he could gather their support, especially moms. His mother was a Shechemite, his father was a Jew. So he could represent both parties. He was a great politician. He'd do well in today's society. And he also knew that the people of Shechem were not indebted to Gideon's sons. They were not indebted to Gideon's sons. That's why he says, how can you choose 70? Can you imagine 70 of us ruling? Well, that's not such a far-fetched idea, 70 of them ruling. How can I say that? How can I say that? Moses Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, told Moses to pick out how many? Seventy elders to help rule Israel. So this wouldn't have been a bad idea if all of them had ruled together. I don't know if it was God's will or not. We'll never know, but it just doesn't seem like it. This kind of logic easily won Abimelech's support with the city, the men, and his relatives. So he's in there campaigning. And in verse 3, it says, And his mother's brother spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem, and their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He's our brother. It's interesting. Very interesting. He's our brother. So he has all the support he needs. So in verse 4, Abimelech continues his lawlessness by breaking two more commands. Now, he broke the 10th commandment by coveting. He wanted the kingship. So he was coveting that. We know that coveting leads to other sins. So I was wanting that. So he went after it. In verse 4, he breaks two more commandments. He takes money from the worshipers of Baal, showing no interest in God's will for the people. And this is clearly a public announcement that he's renouncing God. He's renouncing God of their fathers in their public. And he was saying, hey, I'm on the side of Baal. Look at verse 4. So they gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Baal-barith, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men, and they followed him. Now, what he does is, he hires mercenaries, basically worthless men who follow him, and he wants to gain control over the people. So he has his henchmen. Might doesn't always equate to right. Might does not always equate to right. But here you see Abimelech now using right. It's interesting, though, speaking of these kind of people, these kind of people, these worthless and reckless men, the prophet Habakkuk described them as guilty men whose strength is in their God, small g. Guilty men whose strength is in their God. It's interesting how evil men want evil men to rule over them. It's almost, it gives them a rationale. Evil, and so they get together with this guy. But we know that there is no strength in a false God. There is no strength in a false God, and this very God, Baal, will get his comeuppance when he comes against a prophet named Elijah. And he falls on his face. Because he can't get fire to burn up the calf. He can't get fire to consume his sacrifice. But Elijah can. They're up on top of Mount Carmel. Elijah says, you haven't poured enough water on the wood. They're dumping tons of water on the wood and the calf. And then you know the rest of the story. Fire came down and consumed it. Proving that God is the living God, God of the universe. These worshipers were in their own strength. I see that today. I see people running around in their own strength not relying on God, not relying on his ability to take care of us. God is able to take care of anything that handles you today. He's more than able, and get this, he is more than willing to help whatever ails you today, whatever bothers you today. He wants to be involved in your life. He doesn't just sit up there and watch and laugh. Oh, look at them struggle. Ha-ha, <laughs> look at that. Look at them struggle down there. No. He wants to be involved in your life. He wants to be involved to the point where he knows every move and you know his every move. It's a shame. Abimelech, who is on a tear now, he's breaking commandments left and right. Now he goes for a couple big ones. Look at verse 5. Then he, Abimelech, went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, 70 sons of Jerubbabel, on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Drubabol, was left because he hid himself. Abimelech stoops to a new law. I'm going to get the kingship by hook or crook. I'm going to get the kingship because I have more might than you. Now, we see this all through the ages, all through the ages, not only in Judaism, but in every monarchy grows up looking over their shoulder. Constantly looking over their shoulder. Who's going to get me? And it's always somebody in the family. It's always somebody in the family who wants to take you out. Well, here, Abimelech does that. He commits murder. He breaks commandment number six. He goes on this rampage, unrestrained by the nation. Where was Israel at this time? Why wasn't Israel reacting? Why wasn't Israel reacting? It tells us why. It tells us why. Because back it says, Back in verse 34 and 35 of chapter 8, they forgot to remember the Lord their God, and they didn't show kindness to Gideon's family. Oh, how easily they turned. They didn't have the conviction to intervene, nor did they have the courage. We see this in so many times, in so many cases. Sometimes it's on smaller cases, but we see this all the time. We see something happen, we disagree with it, But we fail to intervene. We fail to intervene. We always think it's somebody else's job to intervene. We fail to step in there and stand up for righteousness. We see it all the time. By murdering his half-brothers, Abimelech now joins a very infamous group in the Bible. Come on, you know them. Cain, Absalom, and Jehoram. All were murderers of their brothers. All were murderers of their brothers. So Abimelech now joins this infamous group. And in verse 6, the list continues to grow. This time, it's dishonesty. So he's now committing murder, and now he's just even more dishonest gain. In verse 6, all the men of Shechem gathered together, all of Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king. Beside the terbeth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. The pillar that was in Shechem. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, and you should not bear false witness. When he took the office of king, it was considered blasphemy by God. It was blasphemy because God was supposed to be the one. And he promised to protect the people and obey the law, And he deceived them because he did not do this. See, Obimelech had his own agenda. His coronation was a farce because it was never accepted nor blessed by the Lord. As bad of a king as King Saul was, at least he was accepted by the Lord at first. He was chosen by the Lord at first. Again, the coronation took place in Shechem. Why? Well, because of Abraham around this tree abraham it is believed that this is where joshua made his famous speech at the end of joshua in joshua 24 in this area by this timnus tree the tree of myrrh jacob buried idols there when he wanted to get his family back to god in genesis 35 he degraded the theocracy by one act he degraded that completely and as we come now to verses 7 through 21, we see that a sin that led to all others, Then here we pick up the sin of pride. And I believe it is during the coronation ceremony because Jotham gave his parable. And by the way, this is the first parable of the Bible. This is the first parable ever given in the Bible. We know that there are quite a few parables through the Bible, not just when Jesus taught in parables. But these are parables. Let's read, beginning of verse 7. We're going to read down through 21 the rest of our time. Now, when they had told Jothan, he went and stood on the top of Mount Gerizim and lifted his voice and cried out. Now, who can tell me what happened on Mount Gerizim? What happened at Mount Gerizim that we studied? Remember? The blessings and the cursings. The blessings and the cursings for the nation of Israel happened on Mount Gerizim. So Jotham stands up there and he wants to give this parable. It's a quite powerful parable. You are
0: the Old Testament book of Judges that we've been studying with Pastor Dave Shank gives us a glimpse into the intriguing history of the nation of Israel. The continuous pattern we discover finds them following God, then turning away from Him, becoming aware of their sin, and finally repenting and stepping back into God's path. Each time, God brought a judge to lead them creatively back to himself, showing his power and mercy time and time again. Israel's history is one we still see today. Many of us fall into the same cyclical relationship with God. We follow him for a time, fall into sin, and need to be reminded of our errors. God is always faithful to forgive us, though, when we come to him in repentance. His mercy is new every day and is big enough to cover every sin. We are so glad you tune in today to Assure Hope. We hope you've been encouraged by what you heard. If you have any questions about this ministry or if you want to know more about the forgiveness God can offer you, please give us a call. Our phone number is 609-884-5821. We'd love to pray with you and we'll do our best to answer your questions. That phone number again is 609-884-5821. If you'd like to listen to more teachings from Assure Hope, just visit our website, assurehoperadio.com. Feel free to download and share Pastor Dave's teachings or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks for being a part of our time here today, and we hope you'll join us again on A Sure Hope.